I love this time of year. Praise God for the changing seasons. But this morning I was walking down here at 7 o'clock in the morning and the sky was as blue as it gets and the sun was out and it felt like 10.30 or 11 and I just thought, wow, God is great. And the blessings He gives us, He does not have to do. He never has to give, it, give us a sunny day like, like today. But He chooses to and I think it's just a reminder of how much He loves each one of us how much He really does care, not only about those who follow Him, but all mankind. When you think about it, there are people in abject rebellion right now today who are enjoying the blessings of God. And it's His desire that those people would come to know Him fully and recognize the full extent of His blessings. But sometimes that takes time, as we'll see this morning in our study. First Chronicles chapter 11. 1 Chronicles chapter 11. I'll begin in verse 1. <clears throat> then all Israel gathered to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. In times past, even when Saul was king, you were the one who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord your God said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel, and you shall be prince over my people Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, And David made a covenant with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel, according to the word of the Lord through Samuel. Newbie forgot to bring his Bible this morning, let's see. (laughs) Verse 4. Then David and all Israel went to Jerusalem, that is Jebus. And the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, were there. The inhabitants of Jebus said to David, You shall not enter here. Nevertheless, David captured the stronghold of Zion. That is the city of David. We'll talk more about that on Wednesday night. But I will mention to you that there is a wall in Jerusalem when you go down into an area called the city of David that they've actually found a very recent archaeological discovery. The city and and palace of David. Pretty amazing discovery. But as you go down there at the bottom of the hill, there is a wall there that's called the Jebusite Wall that has been there for 4,000 years. And you can see exactly what they were talking about. The inhabitants of Jerusalem before David and Israel came in and took that land and took that capital city and made it theirs. Verse 5, the inhabitants of Jebus said to David, You shall not enter here. Nevertheless, David captured the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. Now, verse 6, David had said, Whoever strikes down a Jebusite first shall be first shall be chief and commander. Joab, the son of Zeruiah, went up first, so he became chief. And then David dwelt in the stronghold, therefore it was called the city of David. He built the city all around it, even from the Milo, even to the surrounding area, and Joab repaired the rest of the city. But David became greater and greater, for the Lord of hosts was with him. And those of you who are here Wednesday night, that contrast that with Saul. The Lord of hosts was not with him. Because Saul wanted to go his way, and Saul didn't want to listen. And so the Lord removed his spirit from Saul and gave his spirit to David. Because David was a man after God's own heart who listened to the Lord. And because he listened to the Lord, the Lord was with him. We were watching the, the show Christy last night with my daughter and Cheryl and I late at night after everybody else was settled and in bed. And there's a great scene in it where this uh, prime character in, in the series, I don't know if you've seen the series Christy, but uh, takes place up in the, in the Great Smokies. And this... Uh, This one woman who's kind of the head of this mission goes out on a personal retreat. And she goes out saying, I have to get away and still my own voice so that my heart can hear God. And I loved that. I heard that and went, that that is so it. You ask, how can I hear God? Well, part of it is getting away from from the constant noise. And then even once you're away, getting away from the noise of your own voice in your head and quieting yourself long enough that you hear God and you don't just hear your own voice. Is that possible? Is it doable? Absolutely. And that's the place God invites each one of us to. Well, reading on, verse 10. Now these are the heads of the mighty men whom David had, who gave him strong support in his kingdom, together with all Israel, to make him king, according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. These constitute the list of the mighty men whom David had. Yashubim, the son of a Hashmonite, the chief of the thirty, he lifted up his spear against three hundred whom he killed at one time. After him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Yahuhite, which tells you if your father's a Dodo, you can still be something. Okay? 
He was one of the three mighty men. Verse 13, He was with David at Pastamim when the Philistines were gathered together there to battle, and there was a plot of ground full of barley, and the people fled before the Philistines, but they took their stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord saved them by a great victory. Now three of the thirty chief men went down to the rock to David, into the cave of Adullam, while the army of the Philistines was camping in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, while the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. Remember whose birthplace Bethlehem was. Not only Jesus, but David. This is David's hometown, and the enemy is camped out there. And then David had a craving, verse 17, and said, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So, the three broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water from the well of Bethlehem, which was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, David would not drink it, but poured it out before the Lord. And he said, Be far from me before my God that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of these men who went at the risk of their lives? For the risk of their lives they brought it. Therefore, he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. Fathers, we cover this ground this morning. We pray that you would send the rain of your Holy Spirit to nurture and bring about growth. Father, as the seeds of the Word are implanted and we receive it today, we pray for the living water to bring forth of your Word. To, to grow in us, to do, Father, what, what I cannot do, what, what we can't do on our own. To make this more than a study, more than words, more than knowledge, more even, Father, than wisdom. But that this might, Lord, as we study this morning, bear fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Thank you for your word today, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, be our teacher now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 says, Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. If you're new to Jesus and you know very little about Him, or if you have walked with Him for a good amount of time, there's something... You've probably learned, if you're new to Jesus, there's something you need to know. Something we need to make clear this morning. God is no slave to the clock. God is not bound by time in the way that you and I are bound by time. The same Creator who started time, and and time, realize this, time is a created thing. Before God said, there was evening and there was morning one day, there was not time. He created it. In the same way, it will end. Time will end. And eternity will be before us and we'll finally get some understanding of that thing that just blows so many of our minds. But God is not bound by time. Therefore, He's not a slave to the clock. He takes His time. He is patient. The Bible uses the word long-suffering. He is slow-moving. Some have said the wheels of judgment turn slowly, but they grind thoroughly. The arm of mercy is long that it might reach the many. Now some might say, well Rick, you've talked a lot about the suddenness of the return of Jesus, that it could be any time, that it will be an instantaneous event in the twinkling of an eye. Haven't you talked about this? Absolutely. But not until the time is right. When the Lord moves, He will move quickly. And you often see this in Scripture, when finally the point in time comes, God says, alright, let's go, and people take off. But to get to that point often takes time. Well, Rick, when is that time going to be? That is going to be so instantaneous and quick. When's that going to happen? Psalm 110 verse 1 tells us, The Lord said to my Lord. I love this. David overhears a conversation between God the Lord and Jesus the Lord. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. How do we know David overheard that conversation? How do we know it was a conversation between Father and the Son? Because the Son, Jesus, applies it to Himself in Matthew chapter 22, verses 42 through 45. He brings it up as a a catch-22 question to the Pharisees. Hey, if the Lord said to my Lord, if David calls Him Lord, then how can He be David's Son? And they say, 
you got us. And he says, neither will I answer any more of your questions. And they didn't question him any more after that, we're told. Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 tells us that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is not a hope. This is an absolute reality. This will happen. The day is coming when every knee in heaven and on earth will bow. And every tongue confess Jesus truly is Lord. Has that happened? Well, no, it hasn't. Not as of today. Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus says, Of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. And so when that moment comes, the God is so patiently waiting to bring about that we have longed for in the church for 2,000 years. When that moment comes, it will be instantaneous, but God is patient. We until then need to be like the men of Issachar. I love this statement. First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32 tells us the sons of Issachar were men who understood the times. Who had a knowledge of what Israel should do. Benjamin Netanyahu could use that these days. <laughs> a knowledge of what Israel should do in the current climate and times. But part for us of understanding the times is simply this. And all this to say this one thing. Please understand, we are still in the until. We are still in the until. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. We are still in the until. Much as we would like to be in the kingdom now, Satan is still running free. Rebellion is still rampant. And some days I wonder, as Christ did in Luke 18, verse 8, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? Will anyone be believing? Because the indication biblically is a spiral downward, not upward. Now, there's a move in the church that concerns me. I've mentioned it before. It's called Kingdom Now Theology, or Dominionism. And it's the teaching, and it is on the rise. By the way, you need to understand... Though you hear about, or may have heard a lot about premillennialism and pre-trib theology and the Left Behind series and all that, do you know that it constitutes about 10% of the church that even believes that? 90% of Christians today do not believe the literal interpretation of the book of Revelation. Most of the church has other beliefs, and one that is gaining ground fast and strong is the claim that we are the kingdom and the kingdom is now. Now, you've heard me talk about the fact that we're building the kingdom, and we are. And we've studied through Matthew and heard Jesus call us to the kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he said. And it is. But the kingdom is not now. These are not the days of the kingdom. Not in the literal sense. Dominionism, kingdom now theology, is a mentality that dangerously shifts our focus. It shifts our focus off the coming Christ and onto the current church. Why is that so dangerous, Rick? Because we're all about our power. It's all about what we can do, what we can accomplish, what we can attain to, as opposed to the power that comes only by the Spirit of the living Christ. Worse yet, this kingdom now theology denies Israel her prophetically guaranteed place in the kingdom. Until Israel sits in safety and security in the kingdom of God, the kingdom is not here. And as we watch tiny Israel in the Middle East, get imposed upon by all the nations. And up till now, they had one friend in the world called America. Caroline Glick, in an article just written last week in the Jerusalem Post, called the current climate America's betrayal. Because America is pushing Israel to give up and give in. It's dangerous times for Israel. If we say the kingdom is here right now, we deny Israel their place in the kingdom, and we make God a liar. And God is not a liar. Yeah, but Rick, isn't Jesus ruling and reigning from heaven? You know, listen, Jesus ascended and is back at the right hand of the Father. The Bible tells us very clearly He is at the right hand, sat down at the right hand of the Father, having accomplished everything that needed to be accomplished. But He is not on the throne. He's at the right hand of the Father until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet, God says. Sit at my right hand. He is in that place of honor and authority. And He does have the right to rule, all earned through the cross. But He's still at the right hand of the Father. 
not yet ruling and reigning directly from the throne as is prophesied by Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Zechariah, John, and others who say He will sit literally on the throne in Jerusalem. He will rule and reign from there in that perfect rule, the kingdom age, which is not yet. We are still in the until. So what kicks this kingdom age into high gear? What finally is going to turn the key and open that door to the kingdom? God alone knows. And the Bible is very clear about that. We don't know, we can't know. He alone knows the perfect moment. Now personally, I think it will be when the last person, the last person in this age, who will come to Him believing without seeing, accepts Jesus as Lord and Savior. God knows who that person is. This is something I think about from time to time. I wonder who it is. Because if I could know, we could go shake some sins into that person so we could go home. Because this is the guy, this is the woman who is causing all of us to wait. What's amazing is while we wait for Jesus' coming, if you happen to be that person, He is waiting for you. Such is the patience of God. Such is the long-suffering nature of our Father that He would wait for one person to make a decision that they might be saved. And once that last heart is given, boom, suddenly the church will be caught up. Surprisingly, the end will come like a flood. The wheels of judgment will grind and grind thoroughly. The great kingdom of Jesus Messiah will come right on schedule. In the meantime, we are still in the until. Because God has never rushed. And we see this truth played out before us in the life and the rule of David. And it's very interesting to notice. David's rise to power was not an instantaneous event. If you read just 1 Chronicles 10 and 11 without any other scripture, you might think it was. Because here between chapters 10 and chapter 11, we go immediately from Saul's death to David's anointing. Boom, David's king. Alright, good. Now we can go forward. If you only had 1 Chronicles... You have the genealogies, death of Saul, rule of David. You miss a few things that are very important to note that you Bible students are aware of. David's rise to the throne took time. Remember, the book of Chronicles is in many ways a book of highlights, underscoring important stories and truths the Spirit of God wants us to hone in on. One of those we're going to hone in very closely on this morning. But before we get there, you need to understand the move from David's days as a shepherd in the hills of Bethlehem to the king of Judah and then ultimately Israel was a long time coming. 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 11, the days that David reigned over Israel were 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron. And 33 years he reigned in Jerusalem. Did you know David actually had three separate anointings to be king? Not just one, as was the case with all the rest of the kings. Three. He was anointed by all Israel at Hebron. 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 1 tells us. But seven and a half years before that, 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, tells us he was anointed by the tribe of Judah there in Hebron. And for seven and a half years, though he ruled out of Hebron over the tribe of Judah, all the rest of Israel was in civil war. There were those who wanted to follow after Saul, those who rose up and wanted to create their own kingdom. And so as they fought, and there was backbiting, and, and then the enemies impeding from the outside, David had little Hebron and Judah that he ruled, ruled over for seven years. But even before that, 15 years before Hebron, David was anointed there in Bethlehem when Samuel the prophet came to him. 1 Samuel 16, verse 12, tells us that Jesse, David's father, sent and brought David in. This was after going through all of his old other brothers. Samuel was trying to find who God was calling. He went through every one of them and God said, no, it's none of these guys. And Samuel says, is there anyone else? And Jesse said, well, yeah. We got a young and out on the hills. So he brought him in. He was ruddy, which means red, red-haired, with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Hebrew tradition holds that at that time David was somewhere between 15 to 17 years old. Tell a 15 to 17 year old you are now going to be king. And how quickly do you think they're going to think it's going to happen? If I tell my kids I'm going to get you a snack and it's not within two minutes, they're going, Dad! Sup with the snack. Now come on. 
Young David is anointed in this ceremony before his whole family, Samuel the prophet, who was big time in those days. And for 15 years, this rule would not take place. And then it would be another seven and a half years before finally he has the third anointing and he is king over all of Israel. In 22 years, plus or minus, David had to wait. And a decade of that waiting, David spent running for his life from one cave to another as Saul murderously pursues him. David would live those days as an outcast and an outlaw and there had to be a number of times where David said, God, I know Samuel's your prophet and I know he anointed me, but this isn't working out too well. Where's my rule? Where's my authority? I'm here in a cave, Lord. And even after Saul died, that civil war, war went on for seven and a half years, political infighting until finally he gets anointed. And you're frustrated because the Lord hasn't answered your prayer of last week. Are you frustrated because God hasn't heard you from a month ago? Or maybe you laid down a series of prayers and requests before the Lord a year ago or two years ago and you're going, why won't He answer? Listen, David understands. God is not bound by time. And whereas we want it to happen now, it's a good thing our God is patient and knows what He's doing. And I just say that to encourage you all. We, like a 15, 16, 17 year old David, would want the kingdom that we have been promised. And yet, we are still in the until. And many of you are still in the until of prayers that you've prayed. No answer, no response, quietness seemingly from the Father. He's saying, why? Come on, Lord. I don't like where I'm living. Ten years in the caves. Have you lived ten years from cave to cave? Have you spent forty years in the desert of Midian being a shepherd while your people were enslaved in Egypt? Moses did that. God is not bound by time. Patience. Patience. One of the hardest things we ever have to learn. Paul said in Philippians 4.11, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of both having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. He said again in 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, Godliness is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. We brought nothing into the world so we can take nothing out of it. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. Isn't that not what what Tom was sharing? You give and you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I had nothing when I got here. Why do I think I should have something right now? And if you are dealing with nothingness in your life, understand the Lord is patient and moves slowly. Now, listen. For during David's days of rejection... Something wonderful was going on. Something fantastic was happening. After Saul had driven out David, we're told in 1 Samuel 22 verse 1 that David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. That's where we find him this morning. But when we find him there, he's there with his mighty men. Listen, before that, David ran to the cave of Adullam all by himself. Eventually his father and his brothers found out he was down there, and they headed down there as well. But David spent some lonely nights in desert caves. The anointed of God. He was in the cave of Adullam, in in the caves of En Gedi, in other places around there, in the desert. This cast out David. And if not for that, we would not have some of the most powerful psalms that we have today. They call them the cave psalms. You might want to jot these down. Psalm 57. And Psalm 102. And Psalm 142. Jot those three down. Because when you are in the cave, that's where David wrote those psalms. That's where the Spirit of God anointed David to write psalms of encouragement. The cave psalms. Great places to go when you're stuck in a cave. But David wasn't alone for long. He finally dials down. He quiets himself before the Lord. And the Lord begins to send reinforcements. 1 Samuel 22 verse 2 tells us everyone, I love this, everyone who is in distress... And everyone who is in debt, and everyone who is discontented, gathered to Him. Well, great. (laughs) Thanks, Lord. And He became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with Him. Captain of the riffraff. Lord of the losers. 
Listen to how these people are described. These are, by the way, the, the beginnings of David's mighty men. These are the ones who came to him in three ways the Bible describes them. Distressed, in debt, and discontent. <laughs> if I were going to start a church, I wouldn't be looking for those three kinds of people. Now, thankfully, when we started the bridge, I wasn't looking for anybody. It was whoever God brought. Distressed, in debt, discontent. These were the men God was able to work with and bring into the place of mightiness. Distressed is the Hebrew word matzok, and it means in dire straits. So these guys are stressed out. Life has not gone well for them, and they're at the end of their rope. So the stressed out come to David at the cave. Those in debt, that's the word nasha, which means they were seized by their debt. They were maxed out. So you've got the stressed out, you've got the maxed out, and then the discontented come to him, and that word is mara. You know what mara means in the Hebrew? Bitterness. These guys have had it. They're not stressed out or maxed out, they are wrung out and angry with the world around them. These guys started out mighty miserable, they ended up mighty men. Why did they go to David? Why did people like this seek David out in the caves and go there to be with him? I think it's because they knew he could relate. I think they looked at him and went, wow, I'm distressed, but so is David. I'm in debt, David's got nothing. I am discontent. David's living in a cave. I'm going to go hang with him. Gang, in the same way, the distressed and the in debt and the discontent find their way to the Son of David, Jesus Christ. Why? Because He can relate. And if you haven't gone to Jesus and you're in that place, He can relate. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 2.14, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise also partook of the same. You wear flesh, so did Jesus. For since He Himself was tempted in that which He has suffered, He is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Hebrews 2.18 Hebrews 4.15 says, We don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. He gets it. He understands you. He understands me. Look around this morning. Not at the dogs, but at each other. Because we are so much like the mighty men. We are so like the mighty men. Outcasts. Losers, (laughs) Losers, <laughs> misfits, I love you guys, but it's true. This is who we are. And any gathering of people who follow after Jesus that does not recognize their true nature is lying to themselves. We are just like the mighty men when they first came to Jesus, or first came to, to David. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 One of my favorite verses, very comforting. Consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. Look around. That's us. And by the way, for those who are a little more pious among us, a little more religious... The Lord says through Paul, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Preach it, Paul. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, yes, Paul. Nor adulterers, nor effeminate, absolutely. Nor homosexuals, get them, Paul. Nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers. Yes, Paul (laughs) will inherit the kingdom of God. And then Paul says, such were some of you. Oh, okay. We're in that list, you betcha. Paul says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. We are those who were mighty sad, but now are mightily saved. So what does it take to become a mighty man? A mighty woman of God? To walk with and and to be with Jesus? I love Peter's words to Jesus when a crowd of superficial followers left him. Offended by Jesus' teaching, he turns to the apostles. He says, guys, you want to leave too? And Peter said in John 6, 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? <laughs> Don't you want us to leave the cave? Because we got nowhere else to go. Who should we go to? You alone have the words of eternal life. 
Now, I want to get to the thing I wanted to share with you because among these misfits who became mighty men, there's a story twice told in the Scriptures that we need to be sure and hear. It's first time shared in, in 2 Samuel 23 and shared again here in 1 Chronicles 11, verse 11. Check this out. It tells us these constitute the list of the mighty men whom David had. Yashobim, the son of a Hashmonite, the chief of the 30, he lifted up his spear against 300 whom he killed at one time. That's Yashobim. He was renamed Adino Etzen. Adino Etzen was his nickname. It means his ornament is a spear. Because as we're told in First Chronicles, he speared 300 plus men in battle. Now if you read over in 2 Samuel 23, it says he speared 800 men in battle. Well, which one was it? 800 or 300? Well, it was either both, two separate battles. This guy was a stud with the spear. Or it was, it's possible, some commentators think the scribes just in going through the eight and the three in the Hebrew lettering are so close, so similar that someone just missed it and wrote eight, 300 later instead of it was 800. I, I tend to think it was probably both. doesn't matter. Yashobim was the man whose ornament was a spear. This guy was a stud. One of three mighty men of David called the three. The three. It goes on and tells us after him, verse 12, was Eliezer, the son of Dodo the Ahuhite, who was one of three mighty men. He was with David at Pastamim. When the Philistines were gathered together there to battle, and there was a plot of ground full of barley, and the people fled before the Philistines. So when all the people fled, there were barley. Two men left. There was David and uh, Eliezer. So they took their stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines and the Lord saved them by a great victory. So there's Eliezer now, the second of the three. Yashobim, Eliezer. Eliezer stood with David against the Philistines protecting this barley field, which is important to note because the Philistines would often at harvest time attack, drive out people and basically strip the fields bare and take the food back. This was their M.O., So to stand and fight and protect the field was a very brave and honorable and important thing to do. And Eliezer helped David with that. So intense. I love this. We're told this in 2 Samuel 23. Eliezer's fight was so intense, he held so tightly to his sword, that afterward they had to pry it out of his hand. It says his hand clave unto his sword. He he couldn't even get, get his hand off. Because he was so intense in the battle, his hand literally cramped and tightened up and stuck to his sword. Second of the three mighty men. The third is not mentioned here in First Chronicles. I want to mention him because he's mentioned as part of the three, but he's not named. His name is Shema. Shema single-handedly was posted to stand guard over a plot of lentil beans. And again, the Philistines attacked at harvest time to pillage this plot of lentil beans. But when the attack came, everybody fled, but Shema stood his ground. Now granted, a plot of lentils might not mean a hill of beans to you. But Shema stood his ground, and because he did, this mighty man, this mighty man is no has-been. <laughs> so here are the three. And these three are what you would call the upper tier. The elite of the elite of the mighty men. There were all of David's mighty men, numbering six, seven hundred by the time it was all said and done. And then there were the thirty, who were thirty great men named among all the mighty men. And then there were the three. The mightiest of the mighty. These were the ones that David had the most confidence in, the strongest men, the ones who walked around as living legends. Watch this. Verse 15. Now the three of the thirty men went down to the rock to David into the cave of Adullam while the army of the Philistines was camping in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold while the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. David had a craving and he said, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem which is by the gate. He's sitting in his hot, dry, arid cave. He's daydreaming about guzzling the water from the well of his childhood. Water from the well at Bethlehem that he, had, that he had drunk so many times when he was a shepherd on the hills. Go down to the well. Oh, it was good stuff. Bethlehem pure. This was what he was looking for. And he's thinking about it. And out loud he says, Man, I'd give anything for a swig of Bethlehem well water right now. Man, that'd be good. He wasn't asking for it. He wasn't commanding that it be done. He's just thinking out loud. 
but the three hear him. And these loyal, tough, dedicated men slip out of the cave to respond to their king's desire. Do you hear God daydreaming? Do you ever hear your Lord daydreaming, thinking about the things that are most precious to His heart? Like the three, do you ever hear Him speaking out in the quiet? Are you ever quiet enough to listen to the voice of God? And when you hear, are you motivated to move by His Word? John chapter 12, verse 47, Jesus said, If anyone hears My sayings and does not keep them, I don't judge him. I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects Me and does not receive My sayings has one who judges him. Check this out. The word I spoke is what will judge him in the last day. It's another good reason to know the word. Because that's what will be the judge. But then Jesus says these words, I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father Himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that His commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. And that example for us, gang, to live like Jesus did, to speak what the Father has told us to speak. To say the things the Father has told us to say. So many of our prayers are, Lord, I need this. God, help me with that. And could you take care of it now? But Jesus' prayers were, Lord, what do you have for me to speak tomorrow? What do you want me to share with the apostles when when they wake up in the morning? What do you want me to teach today? Lord, what do you desire? Father, what can I get you? Reminds me of my grandmother, Irene. She was a servant with a servant's heart and we would sit there, I think I've, I've told you all before, we would sit there at the dinner table every Monday night at her house. She made dinner for us. And we would get into these religious or political discussions. Every Monday night, my family just were great at arguing. And we would, and it was always friendly arguing. But it was debating and back and forth. Blah, blah, blah. It was always the most important conversation of the week. Right there, getting into it, you know, talking about things, trying to explain that I'm right and you're wrong. Let me show you why. And we're doing all this stuff, going round and round. And right in the middle, my grandma would just break in. Rick, what can I pass you? Just a minute, Grandma. Let me finish my thought, okay? And we continue. Rick, can I pass you something? Bob, what can I get you? Ron, can I get you something? And it was just, at the time, very annoying. But she was always looking for what she could get for you. What she could do for you. She was a mighty woman of God. Just there at the dinner table, how simple it was, but a woman with a heart to serve. And that's what you see in these three men. They just wanted to do whatever their king needed. Whatever David required, they were there, they went. They break through the ranks of the lines of the Philistines to go get water for David. Because they loved him that much. Do you feel that way about God the Father? God, what can I pass you? What can I do for you today? Well, David's desire spills out his heart, rolls off his tongue. And these three loyal, mighty men, Yashobim, Eliezer, Shema, they seek to fulfill their Lord's desire. Verse 18 tells us, So the three broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem, which was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. And you would think in that moment, because of their sacrifice and the, and the danger they went through, that David would go, Oh, man, you guys are amazing. Thanks. Guzzle, 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 guzzle. I mean, to me, that would be honoring their behavior, but that's not what... David does it all, is it? Nevertheless, David would not drink it. He poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me before my God that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of these men who went at the risk of their lives? For at the risk of their lives they brought it, and therefore he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. Now I read this and I think, well, in our culture you'd be spurning the gift. I mean, they went through all this trouble. Take the gift, Dave! Drink the water, man. Show them that you appreciate all that they went through, but David didn't spurn the gift. He elevated it to an even higher level. He didn't just pour it out on the ground. He poured it out, the Bible tells us, to the Lord. What does that mean? It became a drink offering. That water came back to David, and he turns and pours it out as worship, which would honor the three even greater than had he taken a swig of the water himself. Now I want you to think quickly now about what just happened. The three had to break through enemy lines to get to Bethlehem. Now just consider that. 
Bethlehem is the house of bread. Bread, a picture of the Word of God. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And one of the greatest offensive moves of our enemy is when he lays siege to the house of bread. When he camps out in and around the house of bread, doing anything he can to dissuade, to dissuade believers from feeding on the word of God. To keep you and me away from the word, away from the bread. So he camps there, making it difficult. He will invade our schedules. He will distract us with other things. Whatever it takes to keep us out of Bethlehem. Satan functions just like the Philistines. It's an interesting picture. They stole food. They messed up the harvest. And as we see here, they camped out in the house of bread to keep the Israelites out of Bethlehem. And Satan wants to keep you out of the house of bread as well. He wants to keep you out of the Word. Because, and listen to me, because that's where the fresh water is found. It's not just bread in Bethlehem. It's water from the well. Because Jesus said in John 6.63, The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Well, Rick, can't the spirit function outside of the word? Of course. The work of the Holy Spirit, gang, is not limited by or to the Bible. But I am absolutely convinced that the power of the Spirit of Christ is released in the greatest measure to those who break through to the house of bread. Because, as I've shared many times, the more time you spend in the Word, the more acute your hearing is going to be to the Spirit of God. The more you listen to what He has already spoken, the words that He speaks that are Spirit and life, the more you're going to hear the Spirit. The more your prayers are going to be biblical, scriptural, and spiritual. It is not an either-or, as we have made it tragically in the church, an either-or. Either it's a Bible-teaching church, or it's a Spirit-filled church, and they tend not to be one and the same, and that makes no sense to me whatsoever. To be in the Word is to desire the Spirit, and to walk in the Holy Spirit is to be hungry for the Word of God. And you try and separate the two, and you lame yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ. You need both. Those who break through to the house of bread. Breaking through distressed schedules to feed on the Word. Breaking through debt to drink freely, the Bible tells us, from the well. Breaking through discontent to a place of joyful worship of the Lord. And what was the outcome of the Bethlehem breakthrough? The three, the mighty three, brought water from the house of bread. This parallel is beautiful. They brought water from the house of bread. John 7 verse 37 says, On the last day, the day of the great feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And John says, This he spoke of his spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Doesn't that sound refreshing? To drink of the Spirit of Christ and to have the flow of the Spirit of Christ in you and pouring out of you. And this all happened, listen, this all happened during the days of rejection when the mighty men broke through. David was not king yet. These were his days of rejection. They were still in the until. Which is right where we are, isn't it? My friends, understand these are the days of rejection. Oh yes, it is the age of grace where from God's perspective, on God's part, He is pouring out grace on this world. His Spirit is active and alive in this world. And He's saying, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come to me. Drink freely of living water. Come to me. I will save you. All you have to do is call on the name of the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. These are days of grace from God's perspective. But gang, we are living in the days of rejection from man's perspective. The kingdom not yet come. His will not yet done on earth as it is in heaven. And in these days of rejection, the Son of David, Jesus Christ, is calling out to the distressed, the debtor, the discontent. He is calling us to be a mighty people. But warning gang, the enemy is in the house of bread today. The enemy is causing even believers to avoid the Word of God. 
one of the most heartbreaking things to me in the church today is how many churches... Have you heard about the priest who was caught kissing a woman and found out that he was in love with her and wanted to get married, so he got kicked out of the Catholic Church? Have you read that article recently? That's been going on. And, and this Sunday, and it was on Fox News this morning on, on the Internet, and it just said that he's... That they call him Father Oprah. Father Oprah preaches his first sermon from the Episcopal Church where he has now been hired on since leaving the Catholic Church, you know, because he's going to marry this woman and all that. And uh, read the story, you know, for whatever it's worth, but I'll tell you what, if you ever call me Pastor Oprah, I'm going to punch you in the mouth. <laughs> because my job is not to sit here and make it nice and comfy and talk psychology with you and, and pop realities and how I'm going to lose weight this year. My job... Oh, that was... Sorry, that was below the belt. My job... And our role is to be the house of bread. And to fight back the enemy so that the Word of God is clear and heard in this place. Behold, Amos chapter 8, verse 11... Days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I, I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. The enemy's in the house of bread. Through Amos the prophet, God said, people will stagger from sea to sea. And from the north, even to the east, they will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. See, they, there's a thinking that we're seeking after God. Chasing after all these different possibilities of where God might be. And the enemy's in the house of bread. What do we do with this? Well, today the Son of David, Jesus Christ, has offered living water out of Bethlehem. The living water comes out of Bethlehem. That's where Jesus was born. And so Jesus saying, you can drink of My Spirit. My Spirit will well up from within you. Living water from Jesus Himself is offered to those who are thirsty. And you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a water boy. You are a water girl. We have been called, my friends, to be water carriers for the Lord. It's not just about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Les and I have talked quite a bit about this and shared with you all that the desire that we all be filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized by the Holy Spirit as Christ promised would happen to anyone who asked. But it's not about you. It's not about being filled up with living water so you can sit in a cave somewhere and go, man, I'm sated today. I feel great. No, no more water for me, thanks. I'm full. We're to be filled with living water so that we can carry the living water, that water, as it were, of Bethlehem to a thirsty world. The water in one hand and the bread in the other we bring to the world who needs it. Vessels of the Holy Spirit, we are called to be water carriers for Christ to a thirsty world. Revelation 22.17 tells us, listen to this, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. The Spirit and the Bride, so the Holy Spirit and the Church, say, Come. Let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. Who is calling out and offering the water of the Holy Spirit? The Spirit Himself and the Church. Vessels of the Holy Spirit. Now, maybe you're someone who says, That whole baptism of the Holy Spirit thing, it freaks me out because, you know, it's so Pentecostal, and I'm not Pentecostal, and I don't ever want to be Pentecostal. So don't ask me about this baptism of the Holy Spirit stuff. Listen, you're not just denying yourself an outpouring of God's Spirit on your life. You're denying it to someone else who you will not carry it to. Okay, so what, are we going to have a baptism of the Holy Spirit service? No, you know, Les and I have talked and prayed about this, and and it's interesting. Uh, I know there are churches that do, that will say, Monday night show up, we're going to have a get baptized in the Holy Spirit service. We're going to have a a revival service. We're going to have a healing night that night because we're going to tell God that that's the night that He's going to heal all of us. So show up. (laughs) We're not going to do that. But I want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Great. Come talk to me afterwards. And let's pray about that. Seek out less afterwards. And let's pray about that. The wonderful thing about what God did in starting the bridge was He said, don't force anybody to do anything. You just teach the Word. You all be in prayer. Let me move the way I am going to move. And so, we want the Lord to move. 
But I absolutely believe that the things we pray for, evangelism of this region, of all around us, that is not going to be as powerful as it can be if this fellowship doesn't embrace the living water from the well of Bethlehem. You're called to receive that. It's a promised gift to anyone who comes to Jesus. Like the three, we're called to be water, water carriers, to break through the house of bread and come back with water for our Lord. These are the days of rejection. We are still in the until. And so if you have yet to name Jesus as your Lord and King, do it now. Because there are a lot of us waiting to go home. <laughs> no. Do it now because it will change your life for all eternity. And if you've named Him as Lord, if you've come to Him, pray for the bravery of the three. And if you're not sure even what it means, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and all that, would you just ask the Lord? Say, Lord, would you explain this to me? I really want to understand. Take me to the right places, show me, put the right people in my life to give me conversation with. Talk to Harlan. Harlan's standing in the back there. Harlan was one who in my life we spent quite a bit of time talking about what this meant because I couldn't get my, my heart around it for a long time. And the Lord used Harlan to open my eyes to see some things in the Scriptures that I hadn't seen. In the house of bread, he took me there. This is an offer to you by the Lord to be a water carrier. Breaking through the, to the house of bread to bear the water of life. That's the idea this morning. Oh, Father, would you apply your word to us? And would you, Father, remove doubts and fear and presuppositions about what even all this means? Remind us, Jesus, that you're the one who coined the phrase baptism of the Holy Spirit. You're the one who said we would be baptized by the Holy Spirit. You're the one who, who breathed on the Apostles, Lord, and said, Receive my Spirit. And then, Lord, some ten days later or so, you poured out your Spirit on them in a new and powerful way. Father, there are many among us at the bridge who have received your Spirit. And Lord, we recognize this isn't a point of righteousness. This isn't some people are better than that. It has nothing to do with that. But there are many followers who have received Your Spirit but have yet to have the outpouring of power and anointing that You offer for us. There are so many who, like the men in the book of Acts, say, we, we haven't even heard there was a Holy Spirit. And Father, I'm, I'm praying that You will give revelation to us and insight to not be afraid of Your Spirit, but to receive Your Spirit, as Jesus just said, like living water. There are many of us thirsty. We want the water of Your Spirit. And I pray, Father, in Your time, in Your way, by Your hand, that You'd pour out Your Spirit on this fellowship, that we might be water boys and water girls for the kingdom, bringing the Spirit to those who are thirsty. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand up together.